Chapter 9, The Apocryphalum and the Tally Keeper Before Amory had time to embrace any thoughts about what had happened or what was around him, someone was asking a question of him. What's your name? A calm, coarse voice demanded. What? Amory managed from his slump on the floor. What is your name? The voice repeated. Amory scuffled to his feet and rubbed his eyes until he could see who was probing him. A stout creature sat before him behind a long counter. His peach-colored skin looked rough and aged. A single eyeglass rested in front of one of his completely black eyes, and his cheeks sagged a bit. Large, pointed ears drooped from the sides of his head, each appearing as though it had melted to its present condition. Saliva covered the disgusting lips that parted to reveal his disorderly arrangement of teeth. There was no hair on his head that Amory could see, but most of his head was covered by a kind of soft, black cap that sprouted two long, flimsy antenna-like attachments that bobbed gently in front of his face. Standing in front of the counter was a violet-robed figure like the one Amory had seen on his previous journey to the cemetery. His hood was now off and his semblance was displayed. He was a strange and curious being of a peculiar and dazzling appearance. Inexplicably attractive and radiant characteristics were embodied within this creature, captured mainly by the black, translucent, glistening, smooth skin visible on his face and hands. The robe he wore was made of a thick, velvety fabric and looked as if it belonged on the shoulders of the royal beings of the Kingdom Isles. Even more exquisite still, a decor of unrivaled jewelry adorned his form. His neck was engulfed with necklace after necklace, necklaces of gold and silver filled with rubies, diamonds, sapphires, emeralds, and other precious gems. His wrists were encircled by bracelets, bracelets of gold and silver, chained bracelets and studded bracelets, and his fingers glittered with rings, gold rings, silver rings, wide rings, thin rings, diamond rings, inscribed rings. I don't have forever, my boy, the stout creature behind the counter said sarcastically, tapping his fingers upon the stone. Uh, my name's Amory, Demption, Amory replied. The robed being stared at Amory with his tantalizing, hypnotizing eyes, glowing white orbs tucked deep within their dark sockets. Well, Amory, my boy, welcome, the creature finally said. I'm Grey Pearl, the tally keeper. There was nothing the boy could think of to say. If you wouldn't mind, I'm going to finish up business with this Festinger. Just relax and I will be right with you. Gray turned his attention to the Festinger. Amory stood in confusion and wonder, taking this time to inspect the surroundings. Surroundings that made his heart levitate with intrigue. Under his feet a platform of stone extended, identical to the stone used in Tempertime Cemetery. This stone platform was suspended in a void of pitch blackness, and beyond its edges only emptiness dwelled. It was an island in a sea and sky of darkness. Directly above Amory, floating in the shrouding black, were six circles of dim light, each haloing the next of lesser circumference, the portal from which he had fallen. The boy then knew where Temper Time Cemetery symbol, the Styrene's concentrical, came from. The counter in front of Gray was large and constructed of the same stone as the platform, filling up a third of the space. Strange jars of all colors and designs rested on its surface along with a few parchments and a pen and a bottle of ink. Behind the counter were shelves containing more jars, jars that filled every visible crevice. 
A candle on the counter, unlike any normal candle, created the light of the eyelid. The continuation of flame was not the result of wax, wick, or oil. It was an orb of light that inexplicably hovered atop a short rod of stone. Within this orb, fire lunged in every direction while maintaining the shape of the sphere as if a hidden container encased it. Amory briefly stared at it in amazement. After identifying his surroundings, the boy found himself listening in on the conversation between the tally keeper and the fessenger. Not doing so well these ages, I see, Gray said sarcastically. Only five spirits. I'll give you six Sansonite crystals for these. I want eight. One of the spirits is from an ingrel, snapped the festinger in a raw yet coral voice. His mouth shone glowing white as it opened and closed. I very well know that, and I still only offer you six. Take them or leave them. I am not the one with the jar of bare contents. The Festinger released a drawn-out sigh of disgust while opening the lid of his jar. The blue and white wisps inside flooded out in an explosion of disarray, bouncing here and there above, but never drifting into the darkness of the outer void. One of the five wisps was much bigger and brighter than the others. In the meantime, from beneath the counter, Gray had produced a bulky chest with a dense lock. He unlocked it and opened its lid. All of the wisp lights were sucked inside. The larger light resisted the pull and was drawn in last. After the box was closed and locked, Gray retrieved the pouch. From within this pouch, he pulled six shards of beautiful crystal that refracted the candle's light into a stunning display of colors. The Festinger quickly took them from the tally keeper's hands and put them in a pouch of his own. Can I interest you in a new jar? Gray asked in a gleeful tone. I may have some better suited ones for you. Only two Sansonite crystals. The Festinger gave the same expression of disgust as before and pronounced a short phrase in ancient Styrene words Amory could not understand. In the blink of an eye, the Festinger was sent through the concentrical portal above and was gone. Poor fellow, the tally keeper said, shaking his head in amusement. I can only do so much. He then turned his attention to Amory. So, Amory, my boy, what can I do for you? What do you have to trade? Um... Well, I don't have anything. The boy hunched his shoulders back while turning his palms outward, revealing empty hands. Well, I guess I have this. Amory pulled out the compass from beneath his shirt. Ha! The tally keeper gave the boy an expressive look, lifting his eyebrows so that the reflection of the candle's flame in his black eyes intensified. I only deal in spirits here, my boy, and the jars used to collect them. I followed the Fessinger, Amory lied in an attempt to justify his present situation. Good thing he didn't know that. What do you mean? He would have taken your spirit, Gray said in a way that made Amory feel very uncomfortable. Memories of the recapturing of his spirit rekindled in his mind. But don't worry, he couldn't do it here. Where's here? Amory asked. Where's here? My boy, the Apocryphalum, of course. You are in the ever-expansive dimension of unchecked ambition. It is in my shop, however, that the Fessinger could not take your spirit. But where is the isle I was supposed to arrive at, at the other side of the portal? Amory's teachings were far from revealing the details of the Apocryphalum, the core danger necessitating the strict set of skills and knowledge required to use the bindings as portals. 
It was this lack of awareness that kept Amri ignorant of the dark and twisted civilization lurking within this realm. And it was this ignorance that allowed Amri to remain calm when fear should have been his communicative tongue. Oh my, well, you have much to learn, my boy. The tally keeper's enthusiasm was ceaseless. With utmost interest in Amri, he kept a grin on the side of his lips. Let me explain this to you. The Apocryphilum is a boundless world of incalculable places and distances, an enormous expanse filled with potential and infinite exploration. Would it make sense to you, my boy, if I told you that the Apocryphilum is the bridge between one isle and another? You must first cross the bridge before you can reach the opposite side. Yes, that makes sense, Amory said. So there are portals in the Apocryphalm that lead to the different isles. Yes, you got it. But the Apocryphalm is not just a bridge. It is much more. While limitations befall immortality abound, impossibility does not perish here. Surely you know what an artist does. He composes to the symphony of his wild thoughts. Well, the Apocryphalm is the canvas upon which such artists and other pioneers lay out their work. A crossroads of ideas and ingenuity, possibility, and power. Perhaps you can help me find my way around, Amory said as his mind spun a myriad of many fantasies that further spurred his restless heart. Oh yes, my boy, quite certainly. Why, I'm almost positive that is the reason you have come to me now. You have been brought here to gather spirits, to be a collector and explore bountiful frontiers. The tallykeeper then bent over the counter, stretching as close to Amri as he could, and whispered, All collectors of great wealth, I'm sure you could fulfill all of the dreams of your heart with yours. He then retracted to his previous position. Every artist must have his tools before he can perform his art. That is another of my tasks, to supply the artist with the materials. And I do that by equipping my collectors with nothing but the best tools. Gray raised a finger in a way to make it clear that he had the perfect plan. He turned his back to Amory and began rubbaging through all of the jars. Ah, here it is, he muttered after several seconds of searching. What? Amory said, staring at the tallykeeper's back as if he could see through it. This, Gray Pearl replied, twirling to face Amory with a very small jar, about the size of a fist, in his hands. The jar was rounded on its surfaces and was a deep celadon. The material was solid in color and opaque. A plump face of a bizarre creature was crafted into its outer surface. Provoked, alert eyes rested beside a chiseled nose and above puckered lips. The lid was a simple dome with a knob in the form of a leafless tree and was connected by a single hinge at the rear of the jar. This is not an ordinary collecting jar. It is a sibgillum. Already captivated by the mysticism of the new world, the boy was feeling its very tempting pull. A what? Spirits, my boy, are what make the realms go round. Not many are able to harness their power as resources, but all seek them, either for treasure or for trade, to those who can use them. Through a spirit, incredible magic is unleashed. This jar is such a conductor of spirit, an instrument known as a sibgillum, the greatest masterpiece of the Styrene. 
All Sipjilly have specific purposes, and this Sipjilly's particular magical skill is collecting spirits. I've been very fortunate to get my hands upon it, but never have I, myself, ever dared to use it. You see, all it lacks is a spirit, just the right spirit from someone still living to activate and use it. I think you have the right spirit, if, of course, you are willing to give it. Amory put a hand to his chest as if his spirit were to be stolen right then. Gray quickly retreated from his last words. No, no, my boy, you did not understand me. You only must share your spirit, not give your spirit. By holding the sibjulum, you give it access to your spirit, and it gains life. When it is not with you, it is lifeless. That is all I meant. The tally keeper gave reassurance with his words, and Amory relaxed his protecting hand. But, my boy, I cannot simply give this sibjulum to you. There must be something in it for me, and so this is the trade I propose. There was another reason children were never told about the Apocryphalum until they had completed the rigorous training and learning of the Turnian, and that reason was because the place, its scourge of teeming life, seemed to know all of one's darkest secrets and all of one's darkest longings. And a child's most sacred desires were not the same as an adult's. They were far more dangerous. I shall give you this sibjulum, continued the tally keeper, if you give me two-thirds of all the spirits you collect with it. That means for every three spirits you collect, you must give me two, one of which would be a mandatory tribute to the styrene. It's a fair bargain considering you get the sibjulum for nothing up front. Now I know you don't know much about all of this, but you don't need to know much when you have this jar. Are you interested? Every word Gray said was like a dagger of eagerness, pricking Amory with the sharpness of persuasion. Entering into a new revelation of imaginings, Amory gazed silently at the tally keeper while lost in a flurry of thoughts. Holes of curiosity and of potential knowledge carved their ways through the walls of his mind, collapsing the previous platform he had used to hold the world he knew. It felt like a great eon of time had passed before the scene in Amory's mind was played through, allowing words to finally leave his lips. Yes, said the boy, his lower lip tucked in. Gray's face lit up with ecstatic approval. Excellent, my boy, excellent, he proclaimed, placing the sibjulum on the counter between the boy and him. The jar rested at Amory's eye level. All right, Amory, you must now sign a declaration that you are in agreement with the circumstances of the trade we are making. The tally keeper produced a parchment on which he quickly wrote the conditions of the trade with his pen. He then signed his name beneath what he wrote. Your turn to sign, my boy. Gray slid the parchment towards Amory and handed him the pen after dipping it in the jar of ink for a fresh coat. Amory pressed his chest against the counter and wrapped his fingers slowly around the pen as he took it from the tally keeper's hand. Strange script stunned his eyes as he looked down upon the parchment before him. He understood none of it. In the few moments before Amory brought the pen's tip into contact with the surface of the parchment, memories from before his father was gone, when his family had been complete, exploded within his mind. His every memory of that time rapidly played out in an accelerated timeline of sentiment. The visions then transitioned into the awe of the Netherden, its strong, sharp branches called out to Amory perfectly, silencing the grip of reminiscent emotions while striking with the clarity of adventurous approval. 
Tension in Amory's fingers caused them to clench around the pen as he brought it down to the fate that resided at the intersection between parchment and ink. He signed his name, making each curve and line as intricate as he knew how. Wonderful, my boy, Gray shouted. Listen carefully now and repeat the words I speak to you while you hold the jar. After you say them, your sipgillum will come to life. Okay, Emery said, reaching his hands out and around the celadin jar, bringing it before his face while unceasingly probing its surfaces with his eyes. The jar was shockingly cold. The words are, El Tamina des Grave. The words were of the Styrene language. The boy repeated the words as best he could, El Tomina des Grave. Suddenly, magically, the mouth of the face that was the jar began to move and replied, El Tamina des Regas, in a voice of wise inflection. Amory gasped when its eyes glowed bright orange. Roots from every portion of Amory's body seemed to be yanked free. His senses went numb as he felt warmth and energy flow from within him into the sibgulum. His legs fell limp and he crumpled to the ground. <laughs>